Hello and welcome to the Global Venturing Review podcast. My name is Thierry Hillis. I'm the editor of Global University Venturing. And as always, I will also bring you the news from Global Corporate and Global Impact Venturing. Just me this week as Jim is in Brazil at our conference down there. And well, actually by now he might be in Taiwan and difficult to keep track of his globetrotting ways. But he will be back soon with us. In the meantime, let's dive into the news, starting with the big stories as always. The latest twist in the Wii company, WeWork Saga, is that SoftBank, the largest shareholder in the workspace operator and also the investor that provided most of its late-stage funding, is preparing a restructuring deal that will involve it acquiring a majority stake, while ensuring it has enough money to make it through the next 12 months. The equity portion of the deal could value WECO at less than $10 billion, sources told the Wall Street Journal. It is amazing to think we've gone from one of the biggest IPOs of the year to question marks over its survival in, what, two months? Well, Vice Media is dealing with a valuation cut of its own, having raised money from Looper Systems, the investment holding vehicle for ex-21st century executive James Murdoch, at a $4 billion valuation. Looper reportedly acquired a small stake, but the meat and bones is, of course, the valuation, which does mark a steep cut from the $5.7 billion valuation at which the diversified media company last raised money, even taking into account its recent acquisition of digital media operator Refinery29. Fund-wise, Lacala Payment may have found itself forced to operate in the shadow of Ant Financial and Tencent's WePay app, but the payment services firm floated in April and is now looking to establish its own fintech investment fund. It's committed just over $42 million for a vehicle it aims to close at $141 million, and has secured the same amount from state-backed entities Beijing Science and Technology Innovation Fund and Zhongwan Kun Science Park Hajianwan Innovation Service Center. Expect to hear more of them soon here. And talking of new funds, we do need to give a shout-out to Wendell Brooks of Intel Capital, who's donated personal money to seed an up to $20 million philanthropic venture fund being raised by University of Michigan's UM Tech Transfer for its early-stage spin-outs. It is a slightly more unique overlap to the CVC world, but one that does deserve recognition. Sadder news came for Neil Woodford, who has had the worst week of his career yet, which is saying a lot, but he has now been forced to admit the end is nigh for his fund management firm, Woodford Investment Management. He intends to leave the spin-out-focused Woodford Patient Capital Trust and the recently suspended Woodford Income Focus Fund, having already been sacked from the flagship equity income fund by its administrator Link Fund Solutions earlier last week. A flicker of hope remains for the Patient Couple Trust, with the portfolio staying under Woodford Investments Management for a three-month notice period before heading into uncharted waters once the firm has been shut down. And with that, let's move on to the, well, I say smaller deals, but there's still some big ones here. Paytum is looking to cement its position near the top of Asia's highest-valued VC-backed companies and is close to raising two billion dollars in equity and debt financing at a reported 16 billion dollar valuation existing investors and financial and softbank which together with and financials founder alibaba own about 57 percent of the company 
will likely be among the participants. The digital payment services provider was valued at $16 billion in a secondary deal earlier this year. We're likely to see edge computing turn up increasingly often on this podcast, and the latest startup to break out in the sector is Pensando Systems, which has emerged from stealth having raised a total of $278 million. Pensando has just nabbed $145 million in a Series C round led by HPE at a reported $645 million post-money valuation. The round also featured Equinix, and Goldman Sachs has been confirmed as an investor. Digital invoice technology developer and services provider Hainan Golden Technology has closed a $141 million Series B round led by Tencent that will fund research and development work in areas such as big data, blockchain and cloud computing technology. Wonder Group also took part in the round, which came in the wake of a round the same size that closed last year. Algolia, a developer of online search software, has raised $110 million in Series C funding from investors including Salesforce Ventures to boost its total funding to approximately $184 million. The company's tools and APIs can sync with Salesforce's e-commerce-focused Commerce Cloud offering, and it plans to put the proceeds from the round into an international expansion and the further development of its core product. Ant Financial has co-led a $100 million Series C round for T-Sign, whose offering can probably be most easily described as the Chinese DocuSign. Kirby Capital and Eminence Ventures also participated in the round, which reportedly took the total raised by T-Sign to at least $131 million since it was founded in 2002. It claims to have nearly 2.9 million businesses amongst its customer base. Meidu, a spin-off from Chinese news aggregation app developer Qutaotiao, has secured $100 million in a CMC Capital-led Series B round that included its parent company. Meidu oversees online literature platforms Meidu Novels and Meidu Novels Lite, and is aiming to hit 10 million daily active users before the end of the year. If it doesn't fall foul of Chinese censors, that is. It's just emerged from a period of restricting new content after a government crackdown on so-called salacious literature. Pendo has raised its own nine-figure sum, securing $100 million in a Series E round that valued it at $1 billion. The company's technology helps developers build customer-friendly software, and the round boosted its overall funding to $206 million in under five years. Its earlier backers include Salesforce Ventures, which has been among its shareholders since the Series A. ProVivi is working on pesticides designed to prevent certain kinds of pests from mating without affecting the surrounding ecosystem, and has received $85 million in Series C funding from investors including BAS Venture Capital. It came after a Series B that closed at $36.5 million late last year, with contributions from BASF and fellow corporate DuPont pioneer, now part of Corteva AgriScience. Small molecule cancer drug developer Citya Therapeutics, spun out of Jackson Laboratory, has added $40.2 million to a Series B round led by Novo that now totals $75.2 million. Selgin also contributed to the extension, though neither corporate had been named as an investor when the spin-out closed the $29 million first tranche early last year. Karen Hong from Novo Ventures is taking a board seat at the company in connection with the round. 
Level Home has also emerged from stealth, making its invisible smart lock available for order and revealing $71 million in funding from investors including Walmart, with which it also has a delivery partnership in place, and Lena. Although the Level Lock is the company's flagship product, it builds itself as a home automation technology provider, so expect to see its product range extended in future. There hasn't been a great deal going on in the electric vehicle sector of late, but electric chassis producer Motif Power Systems has raised some money in a $60 million Series B round co-led by RV producer Winnebago Industries. The company is preparing to open an engineering and manufacturing hub in Detroit, and Winnebago's investment came as part of a collaboration deal. Moving on to funds, here we have China-based clinical development services provider Hangzhou Tiger Med Consulting, which has committed up to $12 million for a $62 million biotech-focused fund dubbed TG Sino Dragon Fund. The dollar-denominated vehicle will be co-sponsored by Singaporean government-owned investment firm Tomasek, and will target early-to-growth stage opportunities in the biotech and contract research spaces. TigerMet will put up the cash through subsidiaries TG Sky Growth and TG Mountain, and the latter is the fund's general partner. Tomasek Investment Vehicle Birch Tree Fund Investments is also committing capital to the fund. Japan-based payment services firm Credit Saison is putting together a $55 million corporate venturing fund called Saison Capital. The vehicle will invest at seed and series A stage, and will concentrate on India and Southeast Asia-based developers of platforms or economic ecosystems that could potentially provide financial services for underbanked citizens, though it is officially sector agnostic. And Konya Educação, the Brazil-based educational services provider formerly known as Croton Educacional, will launch a corporate venture capital arm in 2020 called Konya Ventures. The company's investor relations officer, Carlos Lazar, will head Konya Ventures, which will focus on innovative and disruptive opportunities in different segments of the education business. The size of the fund has not been disclosed. Let's take a look at exits. Here we have Fathom Pharmaceuticals, which has licensed a gastrointestinal disease drug from Takeda and is advancing it towards regulatory approval in the US market. It also plans to float and has set the terms for an IPO set to raise $158 million if it floats at the top of the range. That is an if, of course, the IPO market is looking increasingly dicey these days, but Takeda will be particularly hoping it goes ahead. It will receive a truckload of shares through the licensing deal that will push its stake to nearly 26%. And finally, we got a couple of people moves for you as well. University of Texas at Dallas has filled the role of executive director at its Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship by promoting Paul Nichols, its assistant director, into the position. Nichols succeeds Steve Gungrich, who has stood down having held the post since August 2017. His objective will be to spawn businesses which exploit cross-disciplinary UT Dallas innovations. And Rice University has appointed Gabby Rowe as the executive director of The Ion, a newly renovated startup incubation facility that will host support services from multiple local academic schools. Rowe is currently CEO of Station Houston, the local tech accelerator responsible for overseeing the ION initiative, but she will leave to join Rice University's payroll and will be replaced by Stuart Corey, 
Station Houston's Chief of Staff on an interim basis. And that is it for this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review Podcast. But don't turn off quite yet, as we do have the audio recording of our recent energy webinar, hosted by our own Kalyan Ann Donoff, with guest speaker Erin Hallock from BP Ventures, where she is a senior principal. In the meantime, don't forget to check out globalcorporateventuring.com, globaluniversityventuring.com, and globalimpactventuring.com to stay on top of the daily news and catch up on everything that we didn't have time for in this podcast. If you have any feedback, feel free to email me. You can reach me, as always, at thelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. And if you feel so inclined, do leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. We really like seeing those. Uh, Thank you to those of you that have recommended us to your friends and colleagues. And if you haven't yet, why not do it today? With that, I shall hand over to Kalayan, and I wish you a productive week. Until next Monday, goodbye. Hello and welcome to GCV Analytics webinar. Today I'm very excited because we are going to be talking about the energy sector. And here along with me, I have as a guest speaker, Erin Hallock, um, Senior Principal at BP Ventures for Europe and Asia. Um, Erin joined the BP Ventures team as a Senior Principal in July last year. Previously, uh, uh, she served as an investor and she was also a, a founding member of BFG. Uh, between 2011 and 2017. Um, Previously, she's also served as Associate Director at Barclays Ventures between 2007 and 2011. Um, In terms of her academic background, she is an alumna of uh, University of Washington. She's also spent some time at the London School of Economics and holds an MBA from the University of Chicago. So, um, Aaron, uh, delighted to have you here as my guest speaker. Thanks for uh, doing this webinar with me. No, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, all righty. So before we before we get into uh, the sector analysis per se, um, I would just like to uh, take a couple of minutes to acquaint the audience with uh, who we are and uh, what we do at GCV. Um, so. So just as a quick as, as a quick background, Global Corporate Venturing is our main publication uh, looking at how corporations invest in uh, startups, either directly by taking minority stakes in them or indirectly through LP commitments in VC funds, as well as how they interact with the broader innovation and entrepreneurial ecosystem. In addition to GCV, we also uh, run its sister publication, which is called Global University Venturing, uh, that deals with innovation stemming from academia and subsequent equity rounds that uh, university spinouts uh, happen to raise. Uh, we are currently developing a third one, the global impact venturing, which revolves around the impact space and how governance and environmental issues translate into the development of uh, venture investment portfolios. Um, we do the uh, GCV Academy which uh, is a two-day course on how to go about setting up a CVC unit if you consider setting up one. And it takes place uh, in different cities around the globe. And the academy is led by Paul Morris, who is a veteran corporate VC investor. Paul led uh, the corporate venturing unit for Dow Chemical for many, many years. 
And the program also features many external speakers from corporate VCs and even traditional VCs who share invaluable knowledge and insights with the uh, participants. So if you're considering setting up a CVC, this is probably a program um, you may want to sign up for. And all of these uh, projects, uh, along with uh, GCV Analytics, before I forget, that's our data, data visualization tool, which uh, uh, takes uh, the data on who's been doing deals and uh, what they've actually been doing, turning those data into insights, which we could use as a service and, uh, of course, in our sector reports. Um, and all of these all of these projects uh, sort of fall under the umbrella of the GCB Leadership Society, which um, aims to bring together the leading CDC uh, firms from around the globe and foster a strong investment community. And indeed, the members of, uh, of this community um, come together and meet at various events and uh, conferences, which we organize around the world. Uh, right now, uh, we are actually holding our fifth annual event in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, um, under, the, uh, under the brand of Corporate Venture in Brazil. Um, we, we've also run some other local conferences, such as uh, the GCV uh, Synergize, uh, which we held in, uh, in New York in uh, late September, just a few weeks ago, um, as, well as, uh, as well as our delegation in Tokyo, as well as our um, event in Israel in March earlier this year. Um, however, our two most frequented conferences by um, CVC investors uh, that really bring together hundreds of corporates worth trillions of dollars in annual revenues combined um, are the GCBI Summit uh, in Monterey, California, which takes place in uh, late January, and our GCBI Lon uh, GCB, uh, London Symposium, which uh, takes place normally in, uh, in late May. In terms of our next upcoming events, uh, we've got a, a pretty relevant one, actually, uh, and related to uh, today's presentation, a GCD Energy event, uh, which will take place in uh, Houston, the oil and gas capital of the world, uh, on November 20th and November 21st. And after that, of course, we have the uh, GCV uh, Innovation Summit uh, in Monterey, California, which I already mentioned, uh, which will be taking place on January 29th and January 30th. Um, I think uh, for both events, uh, there are still some applicable discounts. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, it, this might be a good time to do so. And um, for those of you who are maybe interested in uh, our data services, please visit uh, gcbanalytics.com and request a demo. And uh, anyone interested in our publication or other services more broadly in our events, please feel free uh, to reach us at uh, info at globalcorporateventuring.com. Um, now, before, oops, excuse me. Now, before we, before we move on to the uh, sector presentation, uh, I would like to remind uh, to remind everyone in the audience attending the webinar live that uh, they could send uh, their questions through the control panel of the webinar tool we are using, uh, which must be appearing somewhere on the right-hand side of, uh, of their screens. Uh, so please type in your questions under the questions section and um, Aaron and I will try to uh, answer them at the end of the presentation when we'll uh, hold a brief uh, Q&A uh, session. Um, 
it seems like uh, we have uh, quite a good number of uh, live attendees, so uh, there's probably going to be uh, a few questions uh, afterwards. Um, now let's uh, let's uh, let's dig into the uh, sector. So. Um, when we talk about the energy sector, um, it, um, it, it's appropriate to start with a bit of a, a bit of a definition. So, what do we understand by the energy sector? What does it include uh, in our analysis? So, um, the way we see it at GCV, it includes it, it encompasses uh, a, a range of uh, different areas, uh, including renewables uh, and sustainable energy tech, oil and gas technologies energy storage management and grid tech, uh, energy software and analytics more broadly, energy utilities and uh, any adjacent uh, sort of uh, innovation and other energy related uh, enterprises. So it's a fairly broad definition uh, that we use. And um, when we use a fairly broad definition, uh, we can't but um, talk about a little bit about general trends in the sector and the energy sector, um, it must be borne in mind, uh, fuels most econo economic activity there is just by, by its very nature, by what it provides. Um, and one of the most exciting things in, in recent times uh, that we've been seeing happening is that uh, innovation in sustainable and renewable energy sources has been on the rise. And uh, this has been thanks to uh, other adjacent technologies that have enabled it, such as batteries, energy storage, uh, grid tech, and, and so on. Um, and um, here on this slide, I've placed a few data points uh, from other industry reports that uh, global Global investments in renewables uh, stood at uh, nearly $273 billion in 2018, outpacing investments in fossil fuel generation and in other uh, type of fuels, uh, by the way. And um, that energy storage installations worldwide are expected to uh, really mushroom within the next two decades. Um, however, there seem to be some, uh, some challenges down the road that uh, industry uh, industry will have to face and uh, the um, in, in, in particular with, with the with the topic of decarbonization um, according to a McKinsey uh, estimate a McKinsey study com a complete decarbonization uh, of heavy industry would cost anywhere between 11 uh, to 21 uh, trillion dollars within the next three decades and would require way more non-carbon generated electricity than uh, we presently produce in the, in the entire world. Uh, so there's quite a few challenges and here I would like to uh, I would like to really engage our guest speaker Aaron uh, from BP Ventures uh, because I know BP Ventures really places emphasis on the low carbon world of tomorrow. So Aaron, would you like to briefly acquaint our audience with BP's investment thesis on this uh, broad space? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess, yeah, backing up a bit. So what BP Ventures is set up to do is really to invest in cutting edge technologies to support the energy transition. Um, and the way that we look at that is, is that we have five focus areas in addition to our traditional upstream business, um, which will be essentially fossil fuels. Um, so we, we make a small 
portion of our portfolio every year is usually in investments in supporting um, our upstream business. But that's about making that industry cleaner or more efficient. And then the bulk of our portfolio um, is committed to five areas to support the energy transition, as I mentioned. And so those are digital Mm -hmm. Uh, which can be anything from quantum to AI uh, to it it could be a consumer app. Um, And then we're also interested in bio and low carbon fuels. Um, So these would include things like our investment in Fulcrum, Fulcrum, which is a U.S.-based business which takes municipal waste and turns that into biodiesel for jet engines. Uh, That also includes an investment in Solidia, which is a cement technology that produces or emits less carbon than traditional technologies. Uh, Carbon capture and storage, which is, I feel like, fairly self-explanatory, but it's about thinking about new technologies for capturing and storing carbon versus traditional technologies, which is essentially just burying the carbon. Um, Mobility, which is anything around... um, moving people smartly, principally in, in congested urban environments. Um, but we've also have a small investment um, in a business called uh, Allison Group uh, that is about moving people um, in the air. And it's about using excess capacity on, on charter jets um, rather mm-hmm. than that, those legs going empty. It's about reselling those to try to drive utilization and efficiency off of that. Um, and then well, it's a pretty um, broad thesis. <laughs> it is. Right. And then the last one is power generation and storage, um, which is fairly broad, but that really captures sort of alternative ways of generating power and then storing them. And some of that will also overlap with some of our investments or some of our thesis around mobility, because of course it plays into EVs. Right. Right. And um now here, like one of the underlying themes of, uh, of of my sector report and of this presentation is a is really um, is really focused on renewables and sustainable energy tech. So, do you think uh, this sort of revival or this bullishness, if I can call it that way, is likely to be sustained in the coming years, given technological breakthroughs that have been made, or uh, is it something momentary? I don't, you know, I I guess, you know, one way of, of, you know, asking the question is, is this just a fad and this is a trend, which is a blip and it's easy to support um, in a bullish market, but when times are tough, is this something that investors mm-hmm. shy away from? Is this something where um, capital becomes scarce because if it, 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 it's a novelty? And I think the answer is no, principally because we all know that we don't have sufficient um, fossil fuels to meet the demand. You know, the, you've got you know a convergence of ever accelerating demand, but reducing fossil fuels. So you've got to meet that through, you've either got to reduce your consumption or you've got to meet that through alternative energy. And what we don't see is a reduction in energy consumption. And certainly, um, you know, with population growth, I just think it's highly unlikely. And as some of the emerging markets get access to power, 
its demand isn't isn't decreasing and there's real genuine commitment in a lot of areas towards this and you know speaking for bp in particular we recognize um that in order effectively to be a going concern bp is going to fundamentally have to change it will not be exclusively a fuels business which is really our role in bp ventures is to facilitate that transition for the organization in parallel with the sort of wider energy transition and so it's investing in technologies to, to meet those what i wouldn't describe it i guess possibly then saying you know trends isn't appropriate because really uh this is a fundamental shift and i think it's a permanent shift um it's not just right. an aberration in the way that we're either generating or using power right um right and yeah it, it totally makes sense given uh, wider geographic and demographic trends mm-hmm. um i um so actually uh, one of the one of my next questions uh, related to um to to the information on general trends that i've included on my on my next slide uh refers to um refers to really uh, how uh, if, if you guys invest in uh, in some sort of coal oil and gas innovation tech whether in upstream or or downstream uh, kind of related um, startups um, because uh, oil and gas uh, oil and gas majors are um, really susceptible to uh, commodity prices essentially so anything that could increase operational efficiency is uh, welcome in the short and in the medium in the medium term while we still do rely primarily on on fossil fuels and while fossil fuels are still the main the main actors on, on the scene kind of thing so what is the what is the sort of the sort of um or core innovation tech that uh, you guys have been investing in within our core business yeah um so it's about making that business more efficient mm-hmm. to, you know effectively to reduce operational costs and to maximize the output we get from those assets equally it's about trying to clean up those technologies you through carbon capture so one example mm-hmm. is um Uh, of an upstream investment that we've made to kind of drive efficiencies is uh, in a business called Blue Ocean Seismic Sensing, which manufactures subsea um, unmanned, uh, effectively sort of miniature submarines that go around and they're able to drive efficiencies with our offshore assets. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, the current... And and it, so it, and it's basically because you're trying what you're tr- trying to do is sort of getting more oil out of those wells and using mm-hmm. these submersibles. The application today we're seeing is principally for fossil fuels. But what we're also saying is if we if in future we have a large installation of offshore wind assets, could it not monitor those and do some remote at least? maintenance triggering question we don't know yet because we've they've not the the, the 
the technology hasn't been trialed in that area. But it may be that BP never invests heavily in an offshore wind farm, but that might be a market for the business itself. And so if we're trialing, testing and building the prototypes, because it's a very early stage technology, we're facilitating that. Um, but then also going back to kind of your question, what are we doing to kind of invest in our traditional upstream? We also have an investment in a business called Sea Capture, which is around carbon capture, but it's an alternative technology rather than bearing the carbon. Uh, mm -hmm. And so hopefully it then makes, you know, our fossil fuels business a little bit cleaner, or we can apply this technology to try to clean that up. Uh, mm -hmm. But most of the, most of the upstream businesses are like blue ocean where it's trying to drive efficiency or the other way of looking at it it's trying to drive roi on those assets right right um and with with a very inspiring sort of uh, sort of technology right um so very similar very similar to uh, the oil and gas uh, industry is uh, also the area of uh, electric power power utilities uh which uh, have been kind of subjected to uh, rising capital expenditures here on the slide I have uh, I've quoted uh, a, Deloitte, a recent Deloitte report uh, on their capital expenditures but another wider trend uh, across uh, any sort of energy related services is uh, something that analysts tend to call customer empowerment and enrichment of technological choice so what this really seems to refer to is um, the energy consumption awareness being raised among consumers and consumers wanting to, uh, you know, in a way, exercise uh, the well, exercise their choice on how much of a of a carbon footprint they they leave. So I, I just wanted to ask you, to what extent? Have you encountered this phenomenon among consumers and probably the customer base of some of the startups you you invest in, Erin? Yeah, I don't think we touch a lot of this just because most of our businesses are B two B, and right. we don't we haven't invested in anything that touches utilities or even I think power generation. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I, yeah. But what, what I will say is just our own market intelligence says, you know, there is an increasing, um, th yeah, th this, you know, I w our research concurs with this report that there is an increased sort of desire for consumer choice. But I would also add to that is also, there's also an increase in what we would describe as sort of prosumers, where you're seeing a lot of consumers becoming producers of energy themselves and then putting that energy onto the grid and sort of trading themselves. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, some some people call it prosumers, uh, others call it uh, grid defectors. <laughs> so I, I guess it depends on the, on the perspective there in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the terminology. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we live in an in, in amazingly interesting times uh, in terms of um, in terms of um, electric power consumption and electric power generation and, and distribution, no doubt. Um, now let's uh, let's move on to the uh, corporate venturing venturing scene. Um, so we did track uh, 130 deals backed by energy corporates, not only oil and gas, um, between uh, September last year and August this year, and uh, most of them. Uh, 
actually a good chunk of them, uh, 51 uh, took place in, uh, well, were rounds raised by US based, uh, US based startups. Uh, but here I, I want to um, ask Erin again, uh, because BP Ventures does have a, a, a bit of a pretty global outreach. So um, I, I would like to ask you, like, what are the geographies you've invested in and what other geographies are you currently exploring to invest in uh, in the future, Aaron? Yeah, so BP operates, uh, BP Ventures, you know, like our parent, operates globally. So we have an office in San Francisco um, and another office in Houston, and those two offices cover the Americas. Mm-hmm. Our office in London covers EMEA, and, mm-hmm. then, uh, w- and then with support from... Um, a team of three in China and then we have a scout in Israel and a scout in India. And at this stage, um, the scout in India is very much in exploratory mode. That's a a very recent um, position for us. And it's just to test the market there because we know there is a lot of demand for our act. Well, there's, there's a lot of technological innovation there, but there's also a lot of demand for areas that fit within our investment thesis. So, we want to see what the market's like there. Um, we have the bulk of our portfolio is is dominant. I mean, th- those businesses are headquartered in North America, and that's less to do with a strong focus there or a bigger team, but more that we've seen more technology come out of the U.S. than we have elsewhere. But we have seen a strong increase in um, Israel and mm-hmm. a lot of um, activity within in, uh, China. We made our first investment in China um, this year and we'll put, you know, depending on kind of timings and I feel like deal, deal activity always sort of runs off track slightly, um, but the objective is to close another investment there before year end. Um, but we see that as a strong growing market. We've seen less, um, sort of like this map indicates, and like some of these businesses, we've seen less activity in Europe um, by comparison to those other markets, and very little in Africa and South America. I see. I see. And um, our our Africa and South America is, uh, you know, either emerging or developing markets, whatever the term we, we, uh, we may choose uh, of, of interest currently. Uh, is there any, any sort of uh, innovation that, uh, that's uh, piquing your, your curiosity? Yeah, I mean, in, in South America, we have um, looked at, you know, biofuels there, um, particularly with sugarcane. Um, and in Africa, we see a lot of opportunity with things that fit within the circular economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't, I think the challenge with both of those markets is we haven't seen a technology come out of those regions, but we've seen technologies in other regions that can very easily be deployed to those reason, regions. Mm-hmm. I see. Right. Um, so um, there's a fairly broad outreach uh, that you have in global outreach. Uh, well, this is uh, really inspiring work that you guys are doing there. Um, now, moving along with uh, with my slides and my presentation here, 
Um, we did see that the uh, energy corporates invested mostly uh, in things like emerging energy. So we did see 61, 61 deals, uh, mostly in uh, renewables and energy storage check, um, as well as some areas that are adjacent, you might say, or in synergy with uh, the energy industry. Uh, so in in um, AI, big data analytics, or cybersecurity in terms of the 24 uh, investments in, in IT. Um, in transport, obviously, the, the hottest areas uh, revolve around um, autonomous uh, and electric, electric vehicles. Um, and in terms of the industrial sector investments, um, most, of, most of the exciting, uh, exciting things there revolve around robotics, automation, um, unmanned aerial aerial vehicles and even uh, AppTech. So um, for anyone, for anyone sort of knowing the strategic patterns and strategic interests of uh, of uh, energy corporates, uh, this uh, this sort of graph shouldn't be that much of a much of a surprise. Um, now, if we if we look at uh, the co-investments uh, of uh, of energy sector ventures, we we do see a, quite a wide uh, variety of emerging startups. So ranging from things like data analytics and um, energy software solutions like Mana, Bitchley, uh, Autogrid or Cosmotech uh, here through energy efficiency and measurement solutions like SenseHome and InnoWatts, um, Clean tech and renewable energy like Etogen, United Wind, Level 10, um, carbon dioxide capture tech like uh, carbon engineering, um, also things like uh, control valve, uh, valve um, producers like Clark Valve and um, charging station for electric vehicles, even uh, like ChargePoint. Um, here, so uh, quite a wide variety, quite a wide variety of uh, sort of startups that we see from different from different areas. So, Erin, um, I just wanted to ask you here because um, the oil and gas corporate VCs are probably amongst the most collaborative set of. Uh, corporate VCs um, with each other in general. So I just wanted to ask you if um, if you have uh, co-invested with any other uh, CDCs from the industry and uh, what has uh, has your your experience uh, been doing that or probably probably with other energy related uh, energy related uh, corporates, maybe not necessarily um, maybe not necessarily oil and gas. Yeah, no, I mean, co-investment is probably part and parcel with all of our investments. So we almost without exception look to co-invest with others. And that's really a recognition that we don't, one, we don't have the complete answer. Um, two, we bring a set of skills and our competitors or peers in the industry bring another set of skills. And if we can leverage those, uh or we can, you know, provide, you know, either leverage those to develop the technology or provide the business with two strong referenceable customers that will only help their development um, and support their success. So we, you know, we've invested alongside most of the, the oil and gas majors. We've invested, um, yeah, mostly, yeah, we, we, you know, with, with 
you know, these names are all very familiar to us and will continue to do so equally. We often look to invest aside, uh, invest alongside traditional um, financial investors. So either venture capital funds or private equity funds who might operate slightly differently um, in that they have a different investment um, horizon period. But again, they bring a different set of skills and that is useful and beneficial to the portfolio companies. Right, right. Um, so it's uh, it's all about uh, collaboration in this very, very risky uh, sort of uh, asset class that venture capital, venture capital really is. Um, moving along um, with our slides here, um, if we look at the evolution of uh, investments made by energy corporates, uh, we do see that uh, they did go up from 2017 to 2018, as this uh, graph shows, both in terms of uh, number of deals and uh, in uh, total estimated dollars in those rounds. These are total dollars, not just uh, corporate committed dollars. Just clarifying that uh, for uh, for our audience here, um, and uh, the same upward trend seems to be al uh, also the case already by the end of uh, by the end of August. There there's been more more deals made made by sector players um, than than in previous years. So um, I just want to ask Aaron again: um, Are there with you know a bit of a fear and a bit of a bit of a talk of a looming recession just around the corner and all of that is really expected to put a bit of a downward pressure on valuations so have you observed um, such a thing already in the making um, and do you think uh, corporates will continue to do venturing um, even in an even during an economic downturn, which uh, in in which or during which uh, they may be able to make investments at a discount, really. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, in terms of your first question on valuations, I wish I was starting to see a depression in valuations, but I think so. Not yet. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I mean, I would say sort of, you know, whether you're looking at it as a multiple on a multiple basis or just absolute valuations. But I still think, um, you know, there, there's there's still sort of increasing upwards, albeit perhaps at a, you know, not if I look kind of year on year, it looks like the increase um, in maybe multiple expansion has tapered a bit. Um, in terms of whether or not corporates will continue to invest in a recession, um, I mean, I would argue that they almost have to, because in many ways, you know, large corporates, by their very nature, tend to be slow, tend to be less nimble than earlier stage businesses. And these are, for many of them, this is where the innovation comes from. And so if they're going to emerge ahead of the competition on the other side of the recession, they've really got to continue to invest in their venturing arms. For BP, um, you know, BP Ventures has been around through sort of one and, uh, you know, arguably probably two economic cycles. And they have continued to um, 
support our venturing activity, albeit our investment thesis has changed. And I could see that, you know, happening. Um, or it could right. be that the size of the fund contracts just as budgets across the group contract. But it's really for many of these organizations, it's the innovation engine. So it has to continue um, to exist. Right. Right. Um now, on on this graph, I did um, I did give um, I, I did give our, our audience a bit of a, a bit of a ranking of the top uh, top investors over the past year, top uh, energy uh, corporate investors, and um, uh, obviously we, we find uh, some of the uh, usual suspects: uh, Shell, Total, RWE, and uh, and BP. So. Um, all of you guys seem to be seem to be investing uh, quite actively over the past uh, 12 months and probably even more. Um, so that's uh, th that's really really a good sign, <laughs> if um, you know if if, if anything, um, for the moment, at the very least. Um, now, if we look at a if we look at a ranking on the top corporate investors uh, from the energy sector and from other sectors in energy businesses. Uh, it's again um, mostly mostly oil and gas majors that we find we find on top: Shell, Equinor, Total, uh, Chevron, NG. and uh, well, except for NG, uh, that's all of them are probably oil and gas majors. Um, so, um, so so yeah, it, it it does seem to be a promising promising at the moment. Um, now, if we if we look at the evolution of uh, investments in uh, corporate back deals in in emerging energy tech, uh, we do see that um, it's renewables and energy storage that are the two areas that have really picked up uh, in recent years. Those are the um, dark blue and the light blue on on the graph here. Um, so my question here would be. Mm, do you do you expect these areas to continue to be um, the hottest ones in 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 the coming year or in the coming let's say couple years or do you expect other other emerging tech to uh, to sort of uh, become uh, become the the next uh, big thing? No, I mean I think if if you're looking at it exclusively. On an energy basis, I would say, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't be, you know, I think these will continue to probably be the leading um, investment areas, particularly around um, energy storage and management. Um, that's about, you know, effectively managing things mm -hmm. more effectively. And again, renewable energy, because that's about meeting the, the demand, which isn't going to be met through fossil fuels exclusively and i think the other areas where um there will be an increase are things which are probably a little bit harder to quantify as direct you know because they're not directly related to the energy sector and those are things around quantum ai so it, analytics big data um which isn't covered exclusively in sort of the peach category you have because that's mm -hmm. energy software and analytics i think this is it which is probably sector agnostic, but certainly has very strong application to certain sectors like oil and gas. Right, right, right. And uh, when I, well, well, yeah, and the uh, and the possibilities which uh, quantum computing could open up in terms of industrial IoT uh, 
are probably are probably mind-boggling. Um, so, so yes, uh, moving along with, uh, with our presentation here. Um, on this spider diagram, I did uh, I did try to summarize corporate co-investments in energy energy-related uh, sort of startups. So. Um, Without going into too much detail, I'll, I'll I'll just say that what it illustrates is that uh, energy corporates are very comfortable co-investing with corporates from other industries like transport, like industrials, and uh, and even financials, as you as you already mentioned. Um, and you know, there's really a a whole like amazing variety of, uh, of startups and energy innovation. Uh, that's represented here on this uh, little spider diagram. Um, so, what, like, what I would really like to uh, ask you is, uh, is you know, for instance, here we we see um, we see some some names of startups of areas that uh, um, that you guys uh, are really interested in, like uh, ChargePoint, for example, or carbon engineering. So, would you? Would you like to briefly talk about those those two areas, the area of carbon capture technology and the area of uh, well uh, charging for electric vehicles, which are expected to be the next big thing um, within the coming decade or so? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so BP um, acquired ChargeMaster in 2018, mm -hmm. um, which is effectively uh, it, it's a very similar business to charge point so these are charging points um, for electric vehicles and so we we followed that investment just it's run as a business unit so it's not within BP ventures but it's something that we see as interesting because we're interested in that whole ecosystem around EVs um, and we have invested in some technologies um, like Stordot, which are around um, the creation of a rapid charging battery. So, and we look at things in that ecosystem about grid management. Uh, so that was interesting to us and we watched that quite closely. We also um, watched carbon engineering. Um, carbon engineering, for those who aren't aware, is a direct air capture technology and carbon engineering's um, direct air capture technology does this in a closed loop where the only inputs are water and energy and the output is a stream of pure compressed co2 and then this compressed co2 offers a range of opportunities to create products with environmental benefits um, particularly clean burning liquid fuels um, so that was really that's very interesting to us because obviously it's a very clean and very simple way of doing that. We know that we are big producers of carbon and we've got to manage that. So we look at carbon capture um, and storage and it's about making a lot of it. Yes, we've invested in carbon capture, but that will um, carbon capture through sea capture, but that will not be our only investment in that area. Um, we're constantly looking at other technologies in that ecosystem because it's still very early days to say which technology will win or which technology will win in, in which geography. Right, right. Um, really, really inspiring um, types of technologies as well. Um, as uh, 
Well, as this is uh, this is a presentation based on um, on a sector report that I wrote and uh, which people could uh, read in our latest uh, our latest uh, magazine issue. Um, I did uh, I did include this. Uh, this sort of table with uh, top deals done by energy corporates, um, but um, rather than rather than going into um, too much detail about uh, each and every single one, which people could read about on, on our web either way, um, I, I'd really like to uh, to ask you about um, about a, a deal that you seem to be excited about when we spoke about doing this webinar. Um, you it's it's about it's about a deal in a very interesting interesting area related to uh fish of all things and um i'd love for you to uh share um a bit about that deal uh with uh with our audience here yeah so when um we were preparing for the call i asked if it was bad form if i mentioned my own deal as sort of something i thought was interesting that we had we had obviously talked about charge point a bit and carbon engineering as some that i thought were interesting and then one which probably didn't make the grade simply because it was a slightly smaller round um but is a business called callista and callista uses microbes so little tiny bugs and with methane gas converts that into feedstock for aqua, aqua and agriculture. And effectively, what's really interesting to me about this is it, it's, it's creating proteins from methane gas in the simplest of terms, but it's able to do that without any requirement of water, um, which we know, you know, there's water shortages and, and access to water in a lot of geographies is a challenge. We know with climate change, there is food insecurity in a number of areas um, across the globe. Aquaculture is, you know, a dirty industry and very demanding on resources, as is um, agriculture in terms of um, livestock rearing. But if you're able to do that in a way that's broadly clean by feeding animals methane, you know, proteins, from methane gas. That's really interesting. Um, is it something that humans are ready to consume quite yet? Probably not. I mean, I, I can imagine marketing execs working right. hard to try to sell this um, without much success. But in terms of aqua and agriculture, it's, you know, it, it, it's a fairly sort of simple and straightforward sell. And it's a nice way of taking a product and converting it into something very useful in a way that is resource unintensive. Um, if anyone thinks it's remotely interesting, there is a great video that kind of explains it all. Um, but if you search for Callista, um, it's literally sort of the first thing that comes up. Um, but it's quite interesting and it explains sort of how this might then play into the various themes I've mentioned in terms of food insecurity, agriculture, aquaculture, water demand, etc. Mm. It's a it's a, it's a it's a very interesting, uh, as you say, and kind of inspiring investment. Uh, but how does it um, how does it fit uh, with uh, with BP's uh, strategic uh, overall thesis, if I may call it that way? And uh, was it in any way related with a particular business unit of BP's? And uh, you could just uh, elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, I mean, so I guess. 
kind of backing up, you know, you mentioned strategic value and we always um, look at both sides of the coin. So we look at what is the strategic value to BP and mm. what is what is the you know, potential financial return. And both are equally important to us. In this instance, we looked at BP as providers of the feedstock effectively. Um, so, you know, basically we could supply the methane gas. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, in BP's history, so this is going back, you know, s- several, you know, I think a decade or so, BP actually had a division in pet food. Um, mm-hmm. oh. So I don't, you know, this wasn't an attempt to sort of re recreate that division but it you know it wasn't so off-piste for us but it was very much as a supplier of the feedstock um is the way that we looked at the strategic value i see so a a pretty um that's a pretty interesting pretty interesting strategic fit in a way um right so i am conscious of time um because we try to finish these webinars within within an hour, so I'm gonna try do uh, try to do the rest of the slides uh, as quickly as I can, engaging you uh, only on occasion, uh, so we could uh, we could have a brief Q and A at the end. Um, so in addition to in addition to deals, we also try to track uh, exits uh, that involve corporate corporate ventures and um, whether whether they involve them as uh, exiting investors or probably uh, in some cases even acquirers. Um, however, in the energy sector, we do see uh, fair, a fairly small number of exits. Like over, over the 12 months we looked at in the report, there were only three uh, in Europe-based, um, Europe-based startups. Um, and if we look at the overall uh, the overall evolution of number of exits for corporate ventures that we've been been trying to track. There haven't been that uh, that many of them really, and this this has to do with uh, the fact that energy startups, um, in the majority of cases, unless we're talking about perhaps things like energy related software, are harder to uh, harder to scale or to just take longer time to scale. Uh, to become exitable or acquirable, uh, and um, probably in some cases even more capital capital intensive. Um, so we could probably attribute this sort of development um, to that. Um, in terms of funding initiatives, uh, because we also try to track uh, any sort of uh, funding initiative that may be related to energy uh, energy startups in terms of newly launched CVC units or um, VC funds uh, that uh, get to have corporate relevant corporate LPs, corporate backed uh, or um, corporate uh, financed uh, accelerators, incubators, and uh, and so on and so forth. So we try to track those and. Um, we did see that the number of such initiatives did remain stable uh, on year-on-year basis from 2017 to 2018. Even the number of uh, the number of dollars seemed to uh, seem to have risen uh, substantially uh, from about just north of uh, half a billion to uh, nearly 3.7 billion, uh, as this graph suggests. Um, in 2019, we 
we see a bit of a, a bit of a slowdown. We're yet to see what the results will be by uh, by the end of uh, December. Um, in terms of the top funding initiatives, uh, there, have been, there have been plenty of interesting ones. Just to mention, uh, just to mention a few, Schneider Electric uh, launched its uh, SE Ventures uh, unit and uh, kind of announced it, made it public. Um, Aaron Innovation Capital um, raised its uh, its first uh, its first fund. Uh, National Grid Partners was launched in uh, in the U.S. Uh, by National Grid. And, uh, and many, many others. And finally, I'd like to briefly touch on um, innovation coming out of universities. Um, so we did see that the deal flow in university spinouts from the energy sector went up in, 20, in 2018, along with uh, the deal flow in, in such enterprises. Uh, in other areas, as we already saw in this presentation and this report. So I'd, I'd like to briefly engage Erin again um, and ask her, what are BP Ventures' touch points with academia and what is the sort of innovation you see and you uh, find coming out of, uh, out of universities, Erin? Yeah, we have a couple of sponsorship programs with universities um, in you know a number of basically in geographies where we have physical presence, um, and we work with a number of um, university investors. Um, and also some investors that focus almost exclusively on commercializing university-generated IP. Um, one investment that kind of sort of summarizes this nicely is is C Capture, which was a spin out um, from Leeds University, um, and we're actively looking at a number which are university spin outs. I see. So so it's a fairly good variety and of, of useful tech coming out of out of there to kind of sum it up, right? Um, all right. Yeah, well, I mean we're that... seeing a variety of, of different technologies. Um, and I would say there's probably a slight sort of, you know, depending on the university or the geography, there's a slight skew to the type of technologies that we're seeing coming out. But mm -hmm. you know, certain universities will naturally have a bias towards certain activities, whereas others will be biased towards others. I see. I see. This is interesting and probably a very fruitful source of uh, source of innovation for, for you guys. Well, that kind of concludes my presentation um, of the report here. And um, now I was hoping we could uh, get a few a few questions from the audience, but uh, it doesn't seem like uh, doesn't seem like anyone has submitted any. So um, if you allow me, I'm going to ask you one more question and if there's no other questions submitted by the audience i'll um we'll we'll briefly uh wrap up and conclude this program but my my last question would be is bp and you know oil and gas in general attracting interest from um corporates from other sectors such as mining for example um, to see how they use tech and uh, CVC to improve their efficiencies and sort of cross frontiers? Um, not to my knowledge. I mean, there's other sectors, so other CVCs where, you know, we certainly share ideas and network and, and that, but um, the mining example, 
you know, I, I don't know. No, yeah. I mean, I think it's you, just you more generally. Um, I don't think so. Right. Right. Uh, no, I'm, uh, the reason why I'm asking particularly with focus on, on mining is uh, because I, on some of our events uh, that gather energy related investors, uh, I do see people um, representing uh, mining companies, um, but there seems to be mm, a bit of a reluctance on their part to talk about their their venturing activities and their venture investments. They they just uh, go pretty much under the radar and uh, and undisclosed. But uh, they do happen to uh, frequent some of our, some of our conferences, which uh, which is something that uh, really uh, really caught my attention. <laughs> um, particularly uh, particularly the Houston conference, which which is very much related and focused. Uh, uh, related to and focused on on energy, um, so so I was just wondering if there's uh, there's any any sort of uh, unusual suspects that you that you kind of uh, you kind of see uh, in either from that space or, or from any other space really uh, really just uh, just I was just curious. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think. You know, it's it's about. I suppose I, I'd come back to it's about doing the right deal for BP. And so, if there was a another CVC from a sector we hadn't touched, you know, we'd absolutely entertain that. But equally, if someone reached out to us and thought what we were doing was interesting and wanted to learn and leverage from our experience, we would entertain that. Um, I think it goes back to sort of on your earlier one of your earlier slides about co-investment. You know, I think it's really about collaborating um, to try to get the best for or to, to try to be able to deliver the best for a lot of these very disruptive, very early stage companies. I see. I see. Um, well, it doesn't seem like we have any, any questions from the audience submitted. So, um, so I do suppose we can, uh, we can wrap up. Uh, I would like to thank you once again for doing this, uh, this, this webinar with me. I was very excited uh, about every question I, I asked you really, really. So, um, Thank you very much, Erin, for your for your time, and uh, and for doing this. Um, now, um, in terms of uh, in terms of logistics of, of the webinar, um, everyone who signed up for for this webinar will receive will receive uh, the a copy of the slides as well as the uh, video recording of the webinar, and um, that should probably be ready in the next uh, in the next day or so. Um, stay tuned for our next webinar, which is going to take place around mid-November, and it's going to be focused on the financial sector. Um, really excited about that one too. So um, thanks very much, Erin, once again. Um, thanks everyone, um, every one of the attendees who uh, did attend uh, this this great webinar uh, live today, and um, have a good. Um, day, afternoon, or night, wherever you happen to be in the world. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.